Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. The first of the regular season episodes. Going back to five days a week now, excited to get back in rhythm after an exciting offseason that didn't seem like it lasted very long. We had our, our first NBA games in September in a long time that Danny and I were at yesterday, Warriors Nuggets. But we got to catch up on Russell Westrick finally signing that designated player extension in Oklahoma City. Big news there. Kawhi Leonard will miss the preseason, the Spurs announced completely unexpectedly. And we also have a bunch more news to get to out of the first week of camp, mostly injury-related, unfortunately. And then we also want to talk about veteran extensions, now viable again under this new CBA. Who are some real candidates? What might they get? What are the chances are that they could sign them, especially with the cap environment next summer looking so restricted? We're sponsored today by SeatGeek. Use the cap space code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase, and by our friends at Wink, W-I-N-C is how you spell it. Trywink.com slash Capspace gets you $20 off your first order for this fantastic new wine club. Let's uh, get started here, Danny. Russell Westbrook will be in a Thunder uniform, it would appear, for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, so so the deal has in new money, so it's an extension, so it keeps the same the way way it is. Designated veteran adds five years and two hundred five million based on the current estimates. It won't get set until next year, and that final year is now the richest player option that I can think of in NBA history, definitely in the modern era. Yeah, that's right. Harden is only four additional years because he still had two left, I believe. Steph Curry signing his this year with what will be a slightly smaller cap than next year. So with that being the case, Westbrook's extension will start at 35% of the salary cap next year. So a little bit over $35 million. In total, that deal will be five years, $205 million for Westbrook in OKC. And Paul George had some comments afterwards saying, yes, this is definitely the fact that he has extended. It would play into his own decision. Carmelo Anthony will also have a player option decision as well for $27 million next year. More likely to opt in. George almost certain to opt out unless there's a major injury issue. And this doesn't change things that much for OKC because they always assumed that under any scenario that they were going to be happy with that Westbrook would be here. KP did write a piece saying, hey, you know what, like, this may not turn out to be the greatest contract in the end, but I think people misinterpreted that as, oh, they shouldn't have done this. And that's not the case, obviously. Like they need to keep him around and they have this team that's going to be pretty good. You keep those teams together and you deal with the consequences on the back end, which they will when he's making $47 million as a 33-year-old who is pretty dependent on athleticism here in his prime. You may not be worth that. 
It is a fairly standard thing in sports to pay on the backside for value at the beginning of a contract. That's just the way it works with the when players age, and Westbrook is no exception to that. And Westbrook, depending on when and how his athletic regression happens, has a long way to fall and still be a useful player. So he can take a few steps back from where he was last year and still be useful, still be important. And also, Oklahoma City is in a very different place now than they were before, because I was thinking about it, just putting the numbers into the spreadsheet and everything like that, I was thinking about how much more onerous this would be if they had Victor Oladipo's flat $21 million each year. That getting sure. out of that, and yes, it's a possibility that they will lose Paul George outright or something. That That is absolutely a chance. Though he has said that it will factor into his decision, as it would. I mean, it's I guess it's nice for them that he said that, but players consider a lot of different things. But they now have a little bit more, more, little bit more give there. But they are going to be expensive for the next couple of years as long as they kind of keep this group together, and that depends a lot on the players. So better late than never for Clay Bennett, certainly. And for Westbrook, I mean, this means that he is going to spend the entirety of his prime in Oklahoma City unless they utilize the 15% trade bonus that he has in this contract, though that trade bonus might not be relevant because of the rules of regarding trade bonuses. Yeah, he's going to be getting 8% raises and your trade bonus can't take you over what the league-wide max is that season. And so, a lot of these contracts are going to be rising much faster. The cap is not going to be going up 8% per year, not even close to that at this point. So he does have a player option as well in 2022-23. But this has to be cathartic for OKC fans as well with Kevin Durant having left. It was signed on Kevin Durant's birthday. Much was made of that. I mean, who cares? But uh, what I've that's even so he's done russ has done some petty stuff in the past but i doubt that that was intentional I, like to even be that focused on what kevin durant's birthday was or that he even like had that in his mind it seems unlikely to me uh and then this team a lot now just depends on what they've done in the court like sam presti royce young was saying this is one of the greatest off seasons in league history Let's see how it works out on the floor first, but certainly you can't fault a, a single thing that he's done, really, other than the Oladipo extension, maybe the Adams extension, since uh, Kevin Durant left. Yeah, they've done a very good job there. We'll see how Terrence Ferguson works out. That's another important piece of this, just because yeah. what we have to see with Oklahoma City, and I wrote about this a little bit for the Sporting News in a piece that will be out, I think, on Monday, about how Oklahoma City, whether they're going to be willing to or whether they're going to be able to follow what they did with Patrick Patterson, and that's getting high-quality players to take a little bit less money to go there because now we know that they're not going to have salary cap flexibility for a while. And so how teams stay competitive there is by getting guys at the minimum, getting guys at the mid-level exception. And so will Westbrook be a beacon for that to get guys to come to Oklahoma City with or without Paul George, Carmelo Anthony? Because people focus on the top end, but the whole thing matters. And this is also very important for the 2018 free agent class because Westbrook was a very different point guard commodity than the other two high quality guys that are in that class, which were Chris Paul, which are Chris Paul and Isaiah Thomas, because both those guys, you're getting all post prime. They're wonderful players, but you're, you know, those guys are already in their 30s. Whereas Westbrook, you know, I think he'll turn 30 a month after he starts on the extended term of this contract. He's turns 30 or 29 in about a month. So we'll see how that how that part of it works out. But now if you're a team that is looking for a point guard, and I'm thinking of the Lakers here, if you think Lonzo can play the two, 
you're probably going to be getting that guy in a year or like two years or so because this is a weak draft in terms of point guards and it's now a, a very different one in terms of free agency so if you want somebody in their prime you're probably going to be waiting unless you get somebody in restricted free agency yeah phoenix a team i think that falls into that category with eric Bledsoe, not necessarily the same age as some of their other players so Russell Westbrook, perhaps after signing the largest contract in NBA history, Sam Presti, maybe they wanted to uh, kick back, have a glass of wine. Uh, and uh, a great way to do that, if you want to kick back and have a glass of wine, is with Wink. Trywink.com slash capspace is that URL to get $20 off your first order. I've never been a wine guy, but I really enjoyed the wines from Wink over this summer. They sent me this Matchlock Cabernet Sauvignon. Very ex- excellent. I tend to like more citrusy flavors. I filled out their taste profile and they got me some stuff that I liked, even though I generally have not been the biggest wine guy. They sent me a great Riesling as well as Austin to sit out on the back patio. Enjoy that. A good rosé that we liked as well. Had uh, Anthony Slater over, gave them some of that wine, he, he and his girlfriend. And what sets Wink apart is that palate profile quiz. They You fill that out takes a couple of minutes and they recommend distinct and interesting wines to be shipped directly to your door every month and you don't have to waste a bunch of time now going to the store just picking out the one that has the prettiest label that was always my approach now they just send me stuff based on my taste preferences and they did a nice job at least for me they also introduce you to some new rare and custom wines they have a lot of vertical integration so they have access to wines that you can't get anywhere else You can join for free and you can skip a month and you can cancel anytime. So you're not going to be locked into one of these things where it's like, oh yeah, I'm paying for this. I'm not using it. Very easy to avoid that. And they also have a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. Again, no real risk here. If you like wine, if you want to try to get into wine, this is a great way to do it. And you'll never pay for a bottle that you don't like. The offer, of course, to let them know that you came from us and also to get started with them, $20 off your first order, trywink.com slash capspace, W-I-N-C, trywink.com slash capspace. They'll even cover the cost of shipping. That's trywink.com slash capspace. I guess we should go to what, lottery reform next? Yeah, I was was trying to go into the idea of, well, you know, we like to drink wine when we're happy, but certain teams are probably going to be thinking about it in sadness because now that we have the actual numbers of the lottery proposal, the thing that is most jarring to me is the reduction of the percentage chance of getting a really good pick at the top end. So yeah, it got dispersed pretty well throughout the next one. Now we'll talk about that in a second, but the chance of getting the number one pick for the worst team went from 25% to 14 and getting in the top three went from 64% to 40%. Yeah, that in particular is bad. And the impetus here was, as uh, Daryl Morey noted on Twitter in hilarious fashion, he just added Sam Hinkie and is like, tanking is solved, which uh, not really the case. But I think the idea is just like, hey, if you're on pace for 25 wins, we don't want to give you any incentives to get down to 19. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's really what it is. Now, as you note in baseball, even before baseball teams valued the draft order at all, they still would play their young guys. They would rest players who were their stars in September. They'd call up guys in September. So in a much less draft-focused sport, teams still react this way anyway. We've seen even Brooklyn, a team that doesn't have its pick, react that way as well. I, so let me ask you this, Danny. Are you for this change or are you against it? 
I am vaguely for it. I think that there was a middle ground that would have been much better. So if we're drawing the line, so like, let's say it's at 14% now for the team to get the number one pick, I think 20 or something in that range would have been better. What concerns me about this is that I think they focused on tanking to the bottom a lot, which is the most infernal thing. You think about the Suns healthy scratching Eric Bledsoe for two months last year. Like that, That's really, really bad. What we could see here now is the real shift in, let's say, the beginning of April, when teams that are in the race until late fall out, there is now a very significant incentive to falling from like just out of the playoff picture to getting to somewhere in the 9 to 10 range. Because it used to be just a snowball's chance. But now you have a 7, like if you have the 11th worst record, you have a 7% chance of getting a top three pick, 10% if you have the 10th worst record. Those are, that's useful for certain teams. So what I think we're going to see, and this becomes relevant to the Western Conference, is if teams get eliminated, or actually in the East either way, depending on how it works out, just having them fall off a cliff at that point, and depending on how the schedule works out, maybe some of the teams at the bottom pull those wins because it doesn't really matter if you're one, two, or three. I think it's less insidious because, you know, when you used to be trying to tank to get the number one or two or three pick and guarantee yourself a top three or four pick, you had to start early the way the Suns did, right? With Bledsoe for really a two-month period there at the end of the season. The Lakers didn't play Nick Young at all. They He last played like March 17th last year. At least this way now, teams will be fighting and then maybe April 1st. The time horizon won't be as large. The other big change here is the top four picks will now be selected as part of the lottery rather than the top three. So there's, in some ways, more of a chance now to pop up. And I think the percent chances of getting into the top five, for example, right? If you're the eighth team, you have a 26% chance of getting into the top five. You know, that's that's pretty significant there. So I think perhaps the league will be a little bit better off because I think that having the best teams be really good is the way to go and now in some ways you have a better chance that a team that's already on the come could pick up one more piece and become a really good team but i think you certainly have to experience some frustration if you're in one of these markets like orlando or sacramento phoenix minnesota up until very recently that just hasn't made the playoffs for so long that the deck is now i mean even if it's not it must just seem if you're in that market like the deck is stacked even more against you and those markets love to just say woe is me we're a small market like this whole thing about how like oh phoenix is a small market we can't get any free agents like it's much easier to just blame the system than to blame your team for just not doing a good enough job but that's the nature of fandom and those teams or those fans there may definitely feel like this is the league stacking things even more against them in a league where fans love to think that anyway as you know i am a pick protection maven and the one that i've already fixated on for this change is memphis so memphis's pick is top eight protected in the first year of these new rules 2019 they could be right in that mix where if they're they're still competitive if they've kept conley and gasol and then maybe that like 26 percent chance of jumping in allows them to keep the pick for one extra year another thing that i do kind of like about this though is it's going to be harder to tank to keep your protected pick at a specific number like you'll remember in the year that cleveland jumped up from number nine i want to say that that was 24 
either 2013 or 2014 where Detroit owed a pick to Charlotte from the Ben Gordon salary dump and it was top eight protected they made it to number the number eight seed in the lottery and then Cleveland jumped them and they got knocked down to nine and they lost that pick now if more teams from the bottom are jumping up trying to tank to a specific spot is going to become more difficult they can also get rid of that by not allowing any protection other than lottery protection which I support at least on your yeah. own pick. Maybe you could like, so I have zero opposition to what happened with the Lakers pick going to the Sixers and the, and the, and the Celtics. If they want to split that pie up, it doesn't involve the Lakers at all. Zero problem with that. But if the yeah, team is involved. Yeah, when you have no control over it. Yeah. That, when you that, have no control sense. over it. Yeah, and so when you have control over it, lottery protection or nothing. I, I think that that's the way to the way to to fix that element of this, it, and it's not that complicated. And and I understand Amina Hassan has made this point before that it it takes away some flexibility that can be really valuable in trades, but. I don't think the upside is worth it. And and I was working on a pick protection piece today and realized that there are fewer of those going around in the league right now. And I think also that's just because teams are finally realized that they shouldn't be throwing around first rounders the way they were before. But hopefully we can go a little bit closer to that direction, even though they should legislate it out. Yeah, well, without any protected picks around, we're going to have to cancel like one third of our episodes. <laughs> because that's like it gives us quite a bit of material oh, oh we should also talk about the vote because the vote here was somewhat interesting yes. so it was 28 to 1 to 1 oklahoma city was the only no and dallas abstained so it still was more than over the three-quarter majority needed to pass but you know that that there's something about that yeah and it's interesting that i think it was only 17 to 13 when this came back out uh, and in 2014 i think was the last time when the sixers really started trying to tank uh let's get to a, a few little quick hitters before we move on to some of the other major news pj tucker had been dealing with the hamstring injury he's back now full participant in practice today sunday and uh everyone in the rockets seems to be in good shape clint capella and Nene both uh, back to full speed lebron james had an ankle injury he's been day-to-day here in the preseason nothing it seems like to worry about too much in indiana glenn robinson the third who when we talked about their preview about a week ago we noted how thin they are at small forward robinson really the only guy who can even pretend to be a wing stopper on this team now he's going to miss two months with a severely sprained left ankle and ankle sprains that are that bad it can really derail guys careers you know that you're not landing properly you don't have the strength it can cascade up your leg you can cause foot problems ricky rubio a guy who had a severe ankle sprain it wasn't necessarily the same after that but so it's going to be boy on time boy will be good for fantasy uh for both himself and whoever he's guarding on the the kind of the smaller injury front Travion Graham has a left hamstring strain. He's going to be out about two weeks. OG Ananobi, and this was a surprise to both of us, was cleared for five on five and participated in the Raptors scrimmage, which was late last week. Yeah, that's good to see because it really seemed like, and it never made sense to me. You know, he's a pretty young guy. He injured himself in January of why there there's this implication that he was going to miss the whole season. And you thought maybe, and especially considering how far he fell in the draft, that maybe there would be more of a severe issue than your normal ACL tear. But great to see that that is not the case. And I, I'm really glad for him. You know, he actually you know, played relatively full speed. Didn't look great, but that's fine. And, and good to see him back. Uh, Denver got to be kicking themselves still <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so, 
Oh, and by the way, Travion Graham, in case I bet you some of our listeners don't even know who he is. He is a kind of three and D type of guy, backup small forward on the Hornets, was in competition with Jeremy Lamb. And for a guy who's trying to make the team, and I don't think he's not going to, he's going to get cut here necessarily, but if he's trying to earn a spot in the rotation, a little bit difficult for him when he's trying to show he can shoot the ball and defend. Uh, Let's get to another one that I think is really interesting here. Continuing the fallout from this big college investigation from the FBI, Andy Miller's computer was seized. Miller apparently employed a gentleman by the name of Christian Dawkins, who was the agent for Willie Reed, among others. And he had lost his license after running up 48000 in charges to Uber somehow using players' funds, but yet was still operating as Reed's agent during this free agent period. Reed claims that Dawkins counseled him to turn down a three-year, $15 million deal from the Heat, and then he was forced to just go on a one-year deal to the Clippers. And so he's now seeking $13 million in arbitration from Andy Miller. The Heat have pushed back on whether they made that offer or not. It did seem a little rich to me that that offer was ever made and even more ridiculous that it would have been turned down if it were made. So it'll be very interesting to find out exactly what the truth here is, but not great for Andy Miller. Not great, uh, obviously, for Willie Reed, it seems like. And hopefully Christian Dawkins isn't still representing anybody at this point. Another one that you and I have followed pretty closely. Quincy Pondexter is practicing, was practicing fully with no limitations, which is wonderful because he's been sidetracked by, by issues for almost two years now. And then because things can never work out for Quincy Pondexter for very long, he strained his hamstring on Saturday. Quincy also did a long article with Chris Haynes in which he detailed a rather harrowing infection that he had. And it apparently was even close to life threatening, but also interesting from that story was that hey what a surprise he disputes this pelicans idea like del dumps claimed that like they had to fine him for missing mris and like hey we are we tried to get him to go see a doctor in 2015 and he wouldn't he's just such a warrior blah blah and he kind of pushed back on that he said no actually i never really had uh mris i wasn't really told the nature of my injury i had to have microfractures really the first time we actually found out exactly what the surgery was that he had he had multiple surgeries so it was uh and you never know the truth but when something medical is involved i think i'll probably side with the player over the pels medical staff i mean the saints medical staff (sighs) yeah i mean it's it's that whole situation i mean we've seen so much out of there and let's go through another quick couple injury ones. And then do you want to do you want to save kind of the biggest one for a little bit later? Because we still haven't talked about Kawhi. Yeah, no, let's do that now because this is massive and massive. He's going to miss at least the preseason with quad tendinopathy. He's had this is the third now quad related injury. He's had tendinopathy. It's basically tendinitis. If they're focusing on the quad, I'm guessing that's not like the patellar tendon. It's probably his quad tendon above the knee. But when you're going to miss this amount of time, it's really four weeks already with tendinitis. It's really must be flared up. And the last guy with the tendon issue that wasn't torn to miss this amount of time that I recall was Reggie Jackson. And he was never right last year. And Kawhi definitely is incredibly important for the Spurs. If you have a bet on Kawhi MVP, you got kicked on the teeth a little bit here. And, you know, 
the Spurs not wanting to put out a timetable. Part of that could just be because they're being pretty secretive and maybe it's not that bad and they don't want to put any kind of pressure on him and create more questions. Or it could be that this is even more ominous, and especially that they've already ruled him out for the whole preseason. It also, to me, has the possibility, considering how cautious the Spurs are, which is a good thing long term, but I'm assuming if there is any sort of flare-up during the regular season, they will be more patient with it. And that could have an impact on how many games they win in the regular season, because this is a more Kawhi-dependent team than any San Antonio has ever had. Because not only is Tony Parker out, but just the, the, they reduced their defensive talent so much. They lost Dwayne Dedman, they lost Jonathan Simmons, and so... If Kawhi misses any period of time, it's going to be very difficult for the Spurs team to be as competitive. Yeah, they're the Spurs, so they might still out-execute teams, and they could still make it work, but Kawhi is the straw that serves drink, which is why I thought he was my heavy favorite to win the MVP. Yeah, I thought so too, and when we do our actual picks the day before the season, we'll have to see what kind of shape he's in at that point. A couple other injury news here, Joel Embiid. Had not been cleared for contact, but actually was playing half court five on five. He's cleared for that. So if he's playing half court five on five, he's got to be, it seems like he's on track at least to be cleared. Perhaps it's just more conservatism than the fact that he had an actual slow recovery from this injury. And let's pray he makes it through. Uh, Ben Simmons has been playing fine through camp. That's great to see. Markel Fultz has been playing. So if they can get Embiid back on the court, maybe they can get to the higher end of their projection. Uh, Omer Ashik completely off the radar other than that contract that still has two more years left on it uh, and then a third year with I think three million guaranteed he is in Minnesota now he's had bizarre illness issues going back to the middle of last year when he played slightly better to start the year Uh, but he's actually now being treated for Crohn's disease in Minnesota it's really just not clear at all when he'll return to playing basketball he didn't play obviously with the Turkish national team at at Eurobasket so that's really a shame Uh, Ashik despite that contract and and it being a bit of an albatross a good guy we certainly hope that he is able to get healthy at least just for his quality life if not basketball on the players making their way back front Joel Embiid is playing five on five and half court at this point which is a step yeah, I just I just said that what were you doing oh you're, I thought you were talking about Ashik no I was not eating a sandwich no no, no I, 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 I talked I talked about Ashik and I talked about Embiid before I, I only heard Ashik. I, are we supposed to like alternate all right no it's uh no. Yeah, I, I, I had I had, like, I had oh, a whole I, is back it's, I had a whole thematic yeah. thing I was gonna do because I was gonna do him and then Justin Patton and Jabari Parker because Patton is is getting closer to coming back still he didn't play in their game against the Lakers on Saturday I don't I haven't heard if he's gonna be available at all in the trip in China and then Jabari Parker it sounds like he's doing reasonably well he's he can he can dug he's doing some basketball drills but they have not changed his return date for February, which it makes all the sense in the world for the Bucks to be patient with him, considering this is his second ACL tear. Yeah, and especially publicly, they don't want to put more pressure on him. Uh, uh, the Nuggets, we saw Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Moutier. Moutier looked great last night shooting the three ball, but the Nuggets will be alternating those two as starters in the first three preseason games. Seems like Murray, who started yesterday, has the inside track there, but Moutier has been the talk at camp, and he has played well so far. Both of those guys got to get better defensively, though, especially Murray got torched a bunch last night. And in other Nuggets news, Darrell Arthur dealing with this bizarre stomach ailment apparently has been unable to keep food down in the mornings he says his knee feels good but he's been limited didn't play last night 
in that preseason opener and, and Kenneth Freed also dealing with an illness but seems a little bit more short term that'll be really interesting to see how that Nuggets front court shapes out we're gonna have Adam Morris on this week to talk much more about the Nuggets uh back in Chicago Zach Levine won't be cleared for contact until November but with them talking about him being out until January and that seems like it would be in line with that they'll probably want to give him at least a month of playing if not more than that before they bring him back and this Bulls team isn't going anywhere and uh, they're really going to want to take advantage of this last year when you actually get the good lottery odds for sucking they'll take advantage of it with or without Zach Levine though and (laughs) so yeah and then another one in terms of an opportunity is what's going on at point guard backup point guard for the Charlotte Hornets so Michael Carter-Williams had PRP injections in both knees. Now Julian Stone has a groin injury, so the next most logical guy there is actually probably rookie Malik Monk, but Malik Monk is making his way back from an ankle injury as well, so who knows if he's going to be ready to shoulder that kind of a burden. Yeah, and we'll recall that that ankle injury was pretty severe. It kept him out of summer league, and it's still been the same thing. Hopefully, he will get back. I mean, I think their best option there, even with Carter Williams healthy, perhaps, is to go with Monk at backup point guard, but uh, run more of the offense through Batum. Dwight Howard also missing a couple of days due to back tightness, and it's not deemed to be serious, but it still concerns me because it really was the nagging suffering. I thought that he looked reasonably spry at the start of the year with Atlanta, and then we saw how statuesque he was defensively trying to guard John Wall in the playoffs where he just couldn't get outside of the paint for a guy who used to be really mobile. And so for Howard, you know, I don't know that it's going to be about him missing games this year necessarily, but I think he can still bring it on the nights when his back is feeling good, when he's not tight, when he can really explode up under the rim for those dunks and and alley-oops and shot blocks. And when his back is tight, it's really difficult for him to move. So a little bit concerning there if that's going to be a problem for him going forward. And it seems like really with the back surgery he had, the knee issues he's had, like those have been chronic things for him, the hip tightness that he obviously deals with just watching him move around. It could be better for both sides, though, now that he's playing in on a team that has another center that's ready to roll when he's incapacitated or reduced in efficiency because Cody Zeller you know, is a is a talented player they really did miss him last year so hopefully the reduced workload and that sort of flexibility can make it so Dwight doesn't have to push as hard in the games when he's not feeling right and that it can work out from there Noah Vonley will be out at least the first two weeks of the regular season with a shoulder strain doesn't need surgery but looks like he's gonna have to do some rehab there they've been talking about Alfaruk Aminu playing much more at the three this season but maybe this will push him to the four a little bit more I still think their best alignment is with Aminu and Harkless at the forward positions but they've got all these bigs now that they're gonna want to try and play in two big alignments I've never really thought that was gonna work very well for them we'll see about that but Vonley in probably was never going to get serious extension talks but in a season where he's going to try to really wow people and maybe get a free agent contract not the greatest start for him all right we're going to get back now to talking about veteran extension candidates but first this from our friends at SeatGeek going to a preseason game actually especially towards the end is a really great way I think especially if you don't normally go to games to sit up close when I was in New Orleans I used SeatGeek last preseason to take my whole family to a game and we got great seats like five rows back especially in smaller markets where people just aren't that interested in the preseason it's a great chance to and guys will actually play pretty hard for the time that they're in there especially as the season comes up you can like hear the coaches yelling it's a pretty cool experience 
and SeatGeek is the best way to get those tickets for two reasons. One is they aggregate ticket selling sites together. So you don't have to worry about going to five different sites, six different sites, seven different sites. Oh, do I have to go to the eighth one now? Could I be missing out on a deal? Now you have that peace of mind, number one. And number two, they rank every ticket based on value. So now they have an algorithm that does it a lot better than you can kind of do it in your head saying, okay, this one's 10 bucks more, but it's also three rows closer and a little bit to the left. Like, is that worth the 10 bucks? Like, no, they actually give you a ranking based on value to just tell you that. So way to get started with SeatGeek, they have an app. You can also go on your computer as well, but use the cap space code. Easy to remember cap space. We talk about it all the time on the program and that'll get you $20 off your first CQ's purchase, especially if you're going to NBA preseason games that actually could put a nice little dent in, in what you're paying. So once again, the SeatGeek app, use that promo code CAPSPACE. Let them know that you came from us. Okay, Danny, let's uh, get started here on veteran extension candidates. This is something that you and I both railed against as one of the big problems. You know, that grandfather clock pendulum went back too far away from protecting the owners from themselves. Lots of players hit the open market, didn't have a realistic chance to extend. The designated player veteran extension is one, and I'm sure at some point in the future we'll talk about who maybe those guys could be next year. But all of those candidates now who might have signed a designated player veteran extension have done so. Uh, I think that everyone who the, we know was actually offered it uh, did sign it. Are we right about that? I think that's well, right. Well, there were only it? four players eligible and all four did it. Yeah. Yeah. John Wall, Ross, Steph Curry, who wasn't, he was designated player free agent, but was eligible as well. And then Harden with, and Harden and Westbrook, of course, uh, were grandfathered in. So to all the players who were actually offered it, when it was in front of them, they did sign it. Now, all of those guys are on pretty good teams last year that made it to at least the second round, uh, except for OKC, who projects to do so this year. So if you're on a bad team, maybe it's a little bit different there. Anthony Davis. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, we're not talking about designated player veteran extensions. We're talking about just regular extensions. And the rules for that now, under the new agreement, you can sign for five total years, but that includes the seasons remaining on the contract. And even if you're at June 29th, June 30th, it still counts as being the previous season for extension purposes. So the most you can sign in terms of new years is four, or you can sign for three if you have two years remaining on your contract. So that's one of the but you, you now have an extra year that you can do. Uh, and then they're all, they've also opened it up in other ways, Danny. They have. And I think the most important part of this, and it, it, you could talk about whether this is, I think this part is definitely a good thing, but whether they should have extended it, is that it's either 120% of the previous salary or the estimated average player salary in the year it was signed. And so that is absolutely massive because the estimated average player salary has risen so dramatically that this is what opened the door for what I, I probably am going to end up calling the Josh Richardson extension for a while yeah. now, which because he was the first guy to do it, which is about, I think, with the current numbers, and it'll change year to year as the estimated average salary changes but uh, no it, it will not change well it no but it'll change, change next it year when the year turns over oh yeah, yeah 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 right right yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, for yeah. this but year anyone else who signs that for this year it's the right same. Yeah, okay, so right. for this year it, it's four years and 42 million added to the contracts so that's after the after the current year and so that's what josh richardson got and there are a few guys that could consider it and you know that for a player who's not making a ton of money you know anything that or below opens up a real avenue because that's mid-level exception money something in that range and 
the security involved, considering what the markets that we've seen this year and the market that we might see next year, which is going to be even more constricted than 2017, this could inspire certain players and teams to get to the table. Yeah, and for you cap dorks, the estimated average player salary for 2017-18, which is basically the average player salary for last year uh, times, we think, 105%. There's actually a discrepancy that Larry Kuhn noted uh, in the calculation, but it's probably 105%. It was 104.5% in the last agreement. But uh, for now, we know that the estimated average player salary is $7.84 million. So you can start this extension and even if it's two years from now, you're still starting at the 120% of this year's estimated average player salary. So that starts at 9.4 million. You get the 8% raises. That's how you get up to that 42 million over four years that Richardson signed. He also got that player option. On the end of it is, of course, a few more mechanics here to remind you of as well. If you're in the last year of your deal, you can sign the extension at any point up until June 30th. If you are not in the last year of your deal, and that also you can exclude the option years there too, right? So like if you're a Wilson Chandler or, or a Paul George, uh, actually Chandler I don't think is eligible, but uh, if you're a Paul George, he won't sign it, but he has an option on the last year. If you want to have the new contract supersede that option, you know that still counts as the last year. So if you are not in the last year, if you're in the second to last year of your deal uh, or even earlier than that, then you have to sign before the season starts. The idea being that unless you're in the last year of your deal, they don't want a distraction of you're negotiating all through the season. So that's why they have that deadline there. Uh, And then also they have new rules about which contracts can be extended and when you are first eligible to extend it. Yeah. So now if it's a a three or four year deal, you can start, you can start doing that on the second anniversary of signing the contract. But if it was an extension, it gets a little bit more complicated. And then if it's a five-year contract that you're building from, you can start, you could negotiate an extension on the third anniversary and those timings do matter. And then the other restriction that we should talk about, because this is going to come up is that we dealt with this a little bit with George Hill last year. There are rules in place for extend and trade. So basically, if you want to go through that, and so you can't do a pseudo extend and trade, which is trading a guy and having agreed with the full value of the extension within those first six months. So there are certain players who are extension eligible, but they don't have the full flexibility in terms of salary or years until six months have elapsed since the trade that involved them. Yeah, Marcus Morris, uh, Isaiah Thomas both fall into that category. All right, why don't we get started here and we'll just talk about some of these candidates, whether we think they can reach an agreement, what an appropriate number we think would be. You were kind enough to separate these into likely possible and outside shot. And you only had one guy in the likely call, and that was Robert Covington. Robert Covington is also an unusual case because... I expect him to get an extension, but it is not a normal one. He would he is eligible for a renegotiation extension, and that is especially appetizing to the Sixers because they can use their remaining cap space, which they I believe they have about fifteen million, to add to his current salary, and then that that money kind of is the equivalent of a signing bonus for future seasons. They can actually drop it forty percent for the new deal. This was most famously done under a different calculus with Nick Collison back in the day. There have been other examples of it. And so what that means for the Sixers is they can use some of their cap space this year to get a player who is going to be a reliable contributor on a cheaper contract for next year when their cap space is more valuable. So I expect that to happen. I think that's the reason why they have cap space and 
why there's a weight on this is because due to the the anniversary periods, Covington cannot sign this contract until November 15th. So even if they had an agreement, which I'm not saying they do, but even if they did, he can't sign it until then. Yeah, inverterate tanker Sam Hinkie didn't sign him until November 15th, three years ago. So he will be eligible at that point. They clearly are saving this $15 million. They almost certainly, you would think, have an agreement in place or they would have used that money in some other way. He's only making the minimum. He has a lot of incentive to take that $15 million cash infusion. But where it really gets interesting, though, is how much is the extension salary going to be? You know that you can decline it by as much as... 40% in the first year, right? So let's say he is, they add all that 15 million to the minimum that he's making now. So you're basically at 16 million. You could start him off declining that by 40%. You're basically using the cap space now to get him for less in future years. And so essentially the way it really makes sense to calculate what these extensions are is to take all of the new cash that he's getting this year and just add it on to the extension, right? So let's say he signed on for the lowest amount that he could to start next year if he's making about 16 million this year that would be 9.6 million to start next year and so then that would basically be and he signs on for four more years so that'd basically be you know four years and 43 million or so with raises and then you throw on another 15 million to that and it becomes a four-year 58 million dollar extension essentially uh do you think that that would get it done for covington or would they have to pay more that seems a little bit low, but not too far off, especially when you consider that the market for just teams with are flush with space is going to be so limited. Like it, He will be an unrestricted free agent if he hits the open market, so that is a benefit for him. But there aren't yeah. going to be that many teams with open space, and would he rather, even if it will say the money was even, would he rather go to the Bulls for the same money or go to the Sixers? Yeah, I think he would want to stick around the fact you're always going to get a little bit of a discount in an extension most of the time because you are placing the risk onto the team rather than yourself of injury or performance decline in this year he also is coming off a surgery from the end of last season this is a Sixers team that seems kind of snake bit by the injury bug so I might want to lock in my money now well, and if then, I were him, and but then, I think he's really good. I mean, if, yeah. if he just became a free agent this last summer, now I, I don't agree with every GM in the league. You know, KCP was another guy who I think I rate, and maybe you to a lesser extent, rate higher than the rest of the league. I bet you Covington, we're in the same boat, especially because he had some shooting struggles to start last year that probably seemed a little stickier in people's minds than they actually were in reality. So maybe he will, in fact, sign that. You know, I think he's more of like a 16, 17 million a year player just because of his defensive prowess and the fact that he can hit a shot. And there really are only probably 10 guys like that in the league, as we've talked about, who won't kill you on offense and can really defend the other team's best players on the wing. So I think he's worth a little bit more. But when you take the discount, especially because he hasn't made any money in his career, you know, I would expect him to come in if they give him that full 15 million this year, not more than maybe 12 million a year in the extended term. So I would imagine that it would be less than 65 million guaranteed, even though I kind of think he's worth more. That's just reading the tea leaves a little bit here. That background is also very important here because he, you know, was on a short contract in Houston, which is part of the reason why he's going to, the whole structure with his contract that he, that basically 
there was no incentive to do the Nikola Jokic and drop his team option to make him restricted this year because he already had four years of experience. And then going to the Sixers, taking the Hinky Specials. So locking up life-changing money a year ahead of time is a huge selling point. And I, I think it, I think this deal is going to happen. It's the only one that I think has a, a greater than 50% chance, though there are a few others that could possibly make sense. Yeah, Will Barton is another one, Chris Haynes reporting, as we talked about last time, that they are in talks. To me, the most they can offer him, because he's making only like a little over $3 million this year, the most they can offer him is that Josh Richardson deal, the four years, $42 million, 120% of the estimated average player salary is what it would start at, $9.4 million next year. If I'm Will Barton and I get offered that, I am laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, he, I think, thinks more of him. Denver may, in fact, think more of him as well. Uh, but especially given the fact that he's going to probably be the fourth guard, possibly even the fifth guard at times uh, on this team. He's never started in his career. I don't think of him as a starting quality player. If you can get over $10 million a year, considering that type of pedigree, I would jump at it. But nonetheless, I think between him thinking that he's going to get more and between Denver maybe not thinking that he's even good enough to offer him the most that they possibly can... I agree with you, less than 50% chance of getting it done. I would posit maybe 20% chance. And this is all, I haven't called around to find out whether I think, you know, do some real (laughs) reporting here. Because as we said on our Patreon podcast, which you can sign up for at patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue mailbag, we are kind of on the borderline of being like serious investigative journalists here. But I uh, just reading the tea leaves, I would say, you know, 20% chance of that getting done. Barton also would be facing the risk of just not really raising his profile this year and whether or not he wants to right. be in Denver long term. I mean, being the fourth or fifth guard. And remember, they also have Malik Beasley below him that they invested a first round pick in. And so there, you run into those issues and Emmanuel Moody looked good in the game that we saw. And so if the, if the point guard minutes are more spoken for, then it just reduces everything around the around there. And if, it, we'll, we'll see. But there is a, a, a very real one, risk. One more him. thing on him, too. Sure. Yeah, sorry. One more thing on him, too. If he wants to get traded, then he would be subject to the extended yes. trade limitations as well. And now he can't get at that point, then he could only get uh, 108% of what he was making this year, which makes it completely unpalatable. So he's either got to extend with them or he's going to have to wait to get his money in free agency next season and there may not be that money to go around the two guard market is a crowded one next year it is one of the only ones that is crowded but it that that and centers because centers are going to be crowded forever but then the other one that i think is kind of a separate in this tier that is that you brought up to me before we prep this that's a really interesting possibility is deandre jordan and so deandre jordan he kind of bypasses some of the issues that a lot of other good players do because he's already making plenty of money. So the percentages, it's you don't run into the issues that, like, let's say, Clay Thompson, if he doesn't qualify for a designated veteran or some of these other guys do, because he can have a starting salary on, on an extension of $27.2 million. So you can still get him to the level where he's probably going to be happy. Yeah, making 22.6 this year, so add... 20% to that that's how you get to that 27.2 million and he could sign for four years he can sign at any time before June 30th and a four-year 121.9 million dollar extension is where he would be if in fact they offered him the most that he could get and you mentioned he'll be 30 by the time next season starts on our Patreon podcast and I don't see a huge market out there for him and I think he'll be a little bit behind in the pecking order probably behind DeMarcus Cousins at least and there's really only one or two teams that might potentially be suitors for him 
So if he if I were him and I got offered that extension, I would take it in a second. Now he could make up to thirty five million dollars to start next year, but again, given his age, the center position. The fact that he is very reliant on athleticism to bank another $120 million and, you know, he never gets hurt, but you still, there's the risk of injury or performance decline, market risks. The Clippers just sucking this year and deciding to blow it up. That's also a risk as well. And now his bird rights are no longer valuable to them. I would take that if they offer the full thing. And Brad Turner reporting that, in fact, some negotiations have begun there. And that's one actually, you know, you said 50% chance. I don't know if I would go that far, but I do, this one's starting to feel like it would make sense for both sides i think of all these ones i i think i could see both teams doing it would i offer him that no i don't think so i i mean i would feel totally fine that i could outbid anybody next year if i really had to i'd want to see how this team turns out i don't think it's going to turn out as well as a lot of people do so but uh, i would wait but i could see uh, that that hasn't been how the clippers yeah that's well. exactly what i was gonna say if you and i were running the clippers their offseason would have looked very different after the chris paul trade so and that's exactly why I think DeAndre Jordan should move on this is because they still have that optimism. They're still in that boat right now. So if you can lock up your money, get your last big contract now, by all means, do it and, and run away with it. And then the other group, so actually I guess there's kind of two parts that I, I also had in the possible. A guy that is maybe underrated for this because it's just such a strange situation is Tobias Harris. So Tobias Harris still has two more years on, on his deal, but... You, he could add another one to three years on top of that, starting at $17.7 million because he's making reasonable, you know, solid starter money right now. And he's only 25 years old. And I think that he's the type of player that the NBA should have maintained more flexibility to do extensions because why not? You know, if he if he's happy with his situation and then both sides, you know, you have to agree to an extension. It requires the consent of both parties that, you, that maybe they could pull that out and make it work. And the Pistons are still figuring out their front court rotation. So you could argue that both sides are taking a little bit of a risk and mitigating a little risk with that kind of a deal. Yeah. And it's interesting because Harris, a little bit of a victim of getting some of his money up front in terms of the largest that he could get his salary declines down to 14.8 million and so that would be the basis number for the extension there are certain players like if you're a Dirk Nowitzki you've been on the team I forget what it is I think you have to have played for the team for like you have to be like a 10-year veteran and been on the team for x number of years where you can take the average of your last contract and have that as the basis for your extension rather than but that applies in only a very few cases nick collison actually i think is the only time i can think of in the last few years that that's been used that was the second time that they did something weird with nick collison after as you mentioned under the old rules doing the renegotiation and extension with him i don't know how happy stan van gundy is with harris harris probably slightly overpaid at this point and we don't know if Van Gundy is even going to be around that much longer. I think this is one where if they have a good year and he has a good year, they might revisit it around this time next season. Danny Green's an interesting one, though. Yeah, he, he is. Someone who took way less. And yeah. and the reason... Yeah, he took way less than we thought. The reason... Last time, so maybe he will again. He's more interesting because of the way San Antonio approached their 2018 cap space this summer. In other circumstances, it would have felt like, oh, he's going to decline his player option and then he'll see what he can get on the open market. But they don't have that much cap flexibility moving forward, and his cap hold, you know, he his starting salary would be twelve million. That's pretty close in line with what his cap hold would be. It's not too dramatic either way, and he seems like a Spurs guy, even though Popovich yells at him more than almost any of the other longtime Spurs. But also the idea that it can be a shorter contract. You know, maybe they don't want to add. F- 
four more years to this, but maybe they want to add two. And so if they can get him for two more years, starting at about $12 million, you know, maybe that's a situation that can make everybody happy. He's on the Spurs for the re- remainder of the competitive portion of his career, and then neither side goes into it with too much risk. Yeah, I think you could see this happening just because things always seem to happen like this for the Spurs. But you have to imagine that Green's market value might be a little bit higher in a normal year. But again, it's not a normal year, right? There are probably seven or eight teams that are going to have significant space to pay him much more than the mid-level exception he'll be in a winning environment be able to spend nearly his entire career in san antonio if he signs another deal so maybe this is one that they could look at he does have that player option for next year so but if he declines that they can reach this extension agreement at any point and maybe even they would wait i think some of these even maybe they wait and see what their team looks like after the trade deadline and then have these discussions another interesting one norman powell interesting analog here with Josh Richardson, who do you think is in a better negotiating position right now, Richardson or Powell? Who has more of a pedigree at this point? Because they're in nearly identical situations in terms of their contracts. I think Powell has had a better, well, he hadn't had a better career. He's had a better immediate present present than, than Richardson had, but Richardson was going with ownership that had shown much more willingness to spend on free agency so he was kind of able to ride a to ride a tailwind I think that's right instead of a headwind I'm always bad at that but he was able to to use that kind of to his advantage to lock up when all these other guys were whereas the Raptors were making moves to get under the luxury tax and so while Norman Powell could absolutely get the Josh Richardson contract as a restricted free agent it's a possibility I'm not sure the Raptors want to lock it up right now because that sets the table for everything else. And while with, you know, you could say that Richardson, I think they paid kind of towards the higher end of his value with the Raptors. Maybe they want to ride out that process a little bit because they just spent a ton of money to bring back Lowry and Ibaka, even if the years were much better than some of us anticipated. Yeah, but as a guy with two-way potential, not quite big enough to guard the biggest guys but he can guard some threes they certainly don't have any kind of other option if they're going to keep this team together and try to be good i think if powell who projects to start this year potentially maybe it'll be cj miles but i would expect powell to finish games at least when the other team has someone good that needs to be guarded because miles and derozan is a pretty ugly combo defensively on the wing so he has two-way potential, and I think he's probably has done more than Richardson, although Richardson had a wonderful 2015, to get Powell locked up for basically $10 million a year, that four years, $42 million. I think you'd have to consider that a win if you're Toronto and you're protecting yourself. They can pay him more without have full bird rights on him in free agency, but there could also be another offer. I think if I were Toronto, I would make that offer. I'm not sure that Powell takes it. I probably would take it if I were him. I might, especially if I could get the player option as Richardson did. But I think if you're Powell, you have a, a compelling argument that you're a better player than Richardson. Here's what he got. This is one of the closer apples to apples market comparisons that you'll see. So I think if I'm him, I feel very comfortable demanding four for 42 with a fourth year player option. And if I'm Toronto, I think I would offer that to him as well. It's just a question of whether Powell thinks he's worth even more than that. Toronto is also helped by having that hard limit to what they can do because they can say, hey, this is all we can offer. We can't, there's nothing else that we can do to, to make this work. And so maybe Powell just makes that decision. And 
the the risk either way is like if if he is the best best wing they have other than DeRozan, then they're going to be they're going to be hurt because it will be very very hard for Toronto to get somebody else unless OG Ananobi steps up or Bruno, I guess Kaboko could do it. So they won't have many options. He will have leverage in that way. The other way that he'll have leverage is even though there are a lot of shooting guards on the market, and we can discuss where Powell fits in with that. Those guys generally get get paid because there is a general scarcity around the league. So, Powell, it only takes one team. I could see Chicago making an offer for him. I could see Sacramento, depending on how their situation, if they see him as a three. I could see them making an offer for him. So, maybe Powell uses that as optimism, but that's a lot of money to get a year in advance. If he's happy there, then I would probably counsel him to take it, unless he feels like the same money somewhere else is something he would be desire- he, he would be okay with, because that might be really what it's on the table, and Toronto might just match that. Yeah. Now, this is a guy who was not a great shooter in college. He shot the ball well his first two years, but on not an enormous sample size. So maybe there's a chance that he regresses from three and he's now lost a lot of his value. So I think it's it would be wise for him to take it, although I would understand why he wouldn't. Let's get to more of a lightning run here. Guys who probably aren't going to extend but are eligible i mean there's a whole other group of guys like you know nicole Jokic is eligible but they could only pay him that josh richardson four for 42 and he'll obviously get way more than that so that's one where it's just not going to happen so we won't talk about those but ones that at least have some small chance you put terrence ross as an outside shot i think he probably would take something if they offered it but i would be very surprised if an orlando team that really is kind of in this weird place where it's like they want a clean house but they also have these young guys that they're gonna have to pay and i don't know that ross isn't is enough of a two-way guy not a great fit with evan fournier so i'd be shocked uh they could offer him up to three seasons right now however starting at 12 yeah i put him on the list just because i think the numbers are in a reasonable range for something to happen but i agree with you that the evaluation period for orlando makes it a lot less likely also he's under contract for next season so there isn't as much immediate pressure on it in that way Sean Kilpatrick right. is interesting just because this opens up an, a pay a pay scale that would totally work for him. I mean, he's not worth the Josh Richardson contract. The problem for the Nets is that they have a lot of other guards that they're trying out. And so like the Magic, they're in an evaluation period. So there's a possibility they could come to a number. I, th- I think it would be substantially less than that 9 to $10 million a year just because they like him. He has been productive there, found, found a new lease on life in the NBA there. But I don't expect it to happen. Yeah, and I would be surprised, really, if we see hardly any of these extensions that happened before the last year of the deal. It's just so far away, two seasons, how much can change in the course of two seasons in the NBA, and especially when you're not a rookie extension, you know, usually most of these are going to be veterans, right? And and Ross, on that three-year deal, is about the soonest you're ever going to come up again. But when you're a veteran, you're either thinking, hey, I've way outperformed my second contract or the team is thinking that the second contract is higher to say that hey we're because you know it's only concerned 120 percent of what you were making before for someone who's not just kind of making the minimum or something real small like a, a will barton to say for both sides to say like you know what this guy is totally properly paid right now let's continue that relationship for another three years starting two years from now seems unlikely to me i completely agree with you but there could be some people that maybe and maybe this is going to really start next year that just see how terrible these markets are and be like hey if i can get this money now i might as well yeah that that may be the case i think we the more likely where we'd see that is maybe guys in the deandre Mm -hmm. jordan type of salary range um uh, but you, you know where maybe 
he's two years out and he's gonna be gonna be a free agent at like 30 or something but he's two years out from that and so the team is like you know what maybe if we can get it we'll lock him in now we'll get him for 31 or 32 because we don't think he's going to be any good after 32 and the player is like hey you know what i could even fall off before then so there's some risk i might as well take it incidentally some of the 2016 guys might actually make some sense for this because they got overpaid so there's actually a lot of real estate to work with there (laughs) a lot of real estate Sean Kilpatrick, someone else that you mentioned, he'll be in the last year of his contract this year. And he actually didn't sign until March a couple of years ago. So he won't be eligible until March 19th. Making the minimum now, he could do an extension. He could sign the Josh Richardson, obviously won't command that amount. But maybe as a guy who could be a scorer off the bench maybe something along the lines of like three or four million a year if the nets like him it could be appropriate if he has a good year up between now and march 19th he's also older than you think i want to say he's he might even be 28 by the time he would sign this but he's definitely i think he's 27 already yeah he will turn 28 he'll he'll turn 28 before he could sign this contract one that i thought was vaguely compelling mostly because doc rivers is involved to a loose degree is lou williams Lou Williams is just basically he could get the same Josh Richardson thing just because he's not making that much money right now. That's pretty much what he is. And so if both sides just say, hey, you're you're shepherding our second unit, you're doing a good job with offense to basically just do it now instead of waiting. A possibility. Similar logic with Marco Bellinelli. I've never been able to figure out whether Atlanta brought him in. Yeah, except Lou is good in Atlanta right. and Bellinelli isn't. That, right. That, that, that's, that's the but, only but the, but the other But the element there. that they have in common is that with Bellinelli, I'm still unsure whether Travis Schlenk brought him in because he thought they could help or whether he was more salary flotsam. And so if they feel that he is a contributor for, for the Hawks as they're figuring this out, they could come to a reasonable deal, add a year or two onto that if they wanted to. I'm going to go with the flotsam guess there. Jeremy Grant is someone who I actually would give a higher chance to than you would i would say he's more than an outside shot making the minimum has throughout his career they took his team option for this year perhaps they could have made him a restricted free agent uh they did not do that in part due to their tax issues this season but again they can come to an extension with him see what kind of year he has but I think this is one, it's very unlikely to me that he is going to get an offer for more than the Josh Richardson, the four for 42, which would be the most they can give him. And so I think there is a sweet spot there. They really like him. Maybe they're not going to offer him quite as much as he thinks that, that he can get. But given how little he's made, I think there actually is a, a chance here. And Oklahoma City does like to retain their own, as Bobby Marks would say. I don't know exactly what his role is on this team now. I think that's part of the reason why I pushed it back is just because I like the idea of certainty when a, when a team and a player are going to have to come to this point. And yeah. Oklahoma City's rotations are... He has to play, though. They got like eight guys. He, he's, he has he to does. Play they have team. eight guys, but a lot of them are forwards, so... I, I think he'll be a part of the yeah. rotation. I like Jeremy Grant. I think that he can fit in with, especially as a lower usage guy, which he should be, especially on a team like this, so he can fit in with what they where they want to go. So I'm, I'm optimistic that he can fit. I just don't think they're going to come to a number. But the, the motivation here is different than Powell because they don't have match rights. So you could see Sam Presti just saying, hey, yeah. let's get this out of the way if we can come to a number. And I, that's the part of it that I do think is, is running in favor. You could put him in the group above it, but I still don't think it's super likely to happen. Yeah, I think I would. I, I think I would do that. Uh, Sala Mejri, another guy, I want to say that he's like 31 or will be at least by the end of this season. And he's been effective making the minimum. Pro- you could make the argument that he's worth a little bit more than that. If he wants to stay in the NBA, maybe you pay him 
slightly above the minimum. I mean, you, I could even, this could be one where maybe like they even just give him like an extension at the minimum or a little bit above it for like two or three years and guarantee it. You know, maybe that he would do something like that. Uh, that's maybe what he's worth. Maybe that's unrealistic. I mean, agents are definitely, it's funny. There's a lot of, it's really too bad for agents because the one guy who gets stuck on a below market contract that sticks out much more in potential clients minds than the guys who had a chance to take an offer and didn't and ended up getting less right first of all that offer many times just doesn't get reported to begin with right obviously everyone knows what your actual contract is if you sign on to something that's below market and players especially love to believe that they're disrespected and that i don't begrudge them that like much of that is like they defied a bunch of odds to even be in the nba and in part because they had that mentality but they it sticks out in their minds when someone signed something when their agent basically told them to sign something that was you know was under undervaluing him right you never as an agent you never want your client to think that you're undervaluing him whereas the flip side if a guy gets screwed over and doesn't take a deal and ends up having to take less or ends up out of the league or whatever, no one ever knows really that that happened. And so the incentive is, I think, for a lot of agents to be super aggressive where that might not necessarily be the best thing in the aggregate for your clients. Uh, because, it, you know, if you bat if you bat 70% and you say, hey, you know, 70% of the time when we taste this extension, it ends up being a good deal for them. Uh, but then 30% it's not, that 30% of the time is what sticks out. Maybe agents can switch around on this because of the, the fact that if they get terminated between between that point and when the next deal happens, then they don't get that money, but they get a share of the contract if they agree to an extension or if they agree to extension now. Well, and also you could say too, I don't know how often agents get credit for getting guys really good contracts that they don't deserve right like <laughs> only no only mark Bar- it's bartlestein like, right thank god i got the one that, that jared dudley it. praised and got yeah i, I don't know that it's bartle Bartlestein-y. i think it's mark bartlestein but yeah it's uh yeah and jared doing his agent a favor at bartlestein has done a great job recently especially in some tough market conditions this season but when you have such high character clients like uh the Plumleys, it's both that makes your job and now, easier nonetheless now, so, now that yeah. marshall Plumley is also a gold medalist maybe he can get a, get some movement too yeah although uh you know miles Plumley got arrested for marijuana possession so he's not high character anymore uh wow you could have made a high character joke there and you, you didn't i'm here. disappointed in you <laughs> sorry about that uh Thaddeus Young, yeah, that, oh man, that really were a lot of possibilities. Thaddeus Young, another one, he's got that player option for next year, about $13 million, and he would presumably decline that and then take on, you know, this is one of those ones where he could be in a similar situation to say where Wilson Chandler was a couple of years ago, where you add on maybe one or two years to that contract. But I think, especially just because 2018 is looking like and he's going to be on a bad team he's not going to be able to increase his value maybe he gets traded as well maybe he's more tradable if he signs that although again if he signed that extension then he couldn't be traded for six months Uh, so that could be a problem and maybe that's why this doesn't happen until after the trade deadline if they keep him then they might have some talks but i i think uh that one doesn't seem that likely because if i were young he's played in some really bad situations in his career he probably yeah congratulations you got traded from the sixers to the nets and then from the nets to the pacers that poor guy yeah yeah i mean the, and he gets traded to these teams when it's like they look like he's things are improving for him 
I remember he went to the Wolves, too. He went from That's the Sixers right. to the Wolves yeah. to the Nets, right? Uh, for, for Kevin Garnett, in fact. Uh, but, yeah, it looks like he's getting into a way better situation. Then after a year, it just, like, turns a complete crap. Oh, uh, wait, can I uh, can I make one but, small, but, yeah, one I mean, small it's point on yeah. this? That now the restrict yeah. the 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 equivalent of reversal protection that they put on that second round pick in the Thaddeus Young trade is really biting the Pacers because they basically can't trade a second round pick now forever because until the year that they make the playoffs they can't, they they won't give that pick to Brooklyn so they, and that means all the like BS fifty five and up picks they can't do any of that. Because that's the nature of the pick that they owe. Oh wait, no. Am I thinking about this wrong? No. They could do part of that because that would be inside the protection. But they do have this weird situation where they can't do much with their picks, with their second round picks. Okay, the last guy that you put on here. That I know. I, I just wanted to talk about him. I wanted to Derek talk Favors. with favors. Yeah, yeah. Because in a different world. Yeah, I mean, reports are good on, on how he looks out of camp so far, but uh, you know, that's uh, a lot of reports are always good. It seems like unless the guy's like not even and playing. And favors. At all looks like he's just going to have one of the more variable years in terms of his contract value because immensely talented guy we've talked about it a couple times but a few years ago back before he really got hurt there was an argument to be made that he was the best player on the jazz and yeah it happened that Gordon Hayward and Rudy Gobert both took massive steps forward and it's unlikely that Favors would have taken such a significant step forward but he still is that talented dude if he can get back healthy and so I assume he's going to take a bet on himself and also the value of being an unrestricted free agent but i wanted to include him on the list because i find it i find him compelling yeah the if you were making like 16 million this year instead of 12 million then i think it might be different but he likes to play power forward and rudy gobert is the center so at least gets i think most teams would probably want to start him at center which he's not necessarily interested in doing the jazz one of the few teams i think that would necessarily want to play him at power forward at least to start and so maybe that's a reason that he would want to stay but especially because of that because he just realizes his value is at an eight year right now i would be surprised if he wanted to do anything and if he just plays the way he played two years ago before he got hurt he's a 20 million dollar a year player now who's going to pay him that in this market that's another question but uh i would feel much better about paying him that much than like serge Ibaka, for example uh I think Favor is a much better player than Ibaka at this point in his career, if he could get back to being that guy that he was two years ago. Was there anyone else? Well, I was going to ask if there was uh, right, anyone any, else you thought. Yeah. Any, no, I think that's about it. About? No, I don't uh, think so. I, I don't think there's anyone who really sticks out to me, but I'm, I'm sure the listeners will have one. Oh, one other thing we forgot to mention real quick. It was in the notes for the news. The NBA lowering its cap estimate again from 102 to 101 next year. So that cap space is a shrinking even more. Uh, I mean, 30, you know, I guess not 30 million, but a, a fair amount of, of even the money that you projected to be there next year uh, now gone. I, I project, I mean, not including like mid-level exceptions and stuff, just like straight up cap space that teams will have. I'm projecting only 276 million in space. Around yeah, and my there. number, the last one I did was 400 million, but I include mid levels and all that kind of stuff. And remember also that now under the new system, a lot of this stuff yeah. also hinges on the cap. So reductions affect the MLE, they fa- affect things like this. I don't have that running all the way in my stuff. And then also, one right. thing I, I want listeners to be as engaged in as we are is trying to figure out whether there is actually going to be this bigger jump that's happening in 2019 20. They still have the 108 million projection. And that's something to watch as we move forward because that if that tones down then it starts to change how how teams think about their long-term finances because if there isn't that jump there then some of these contracts are going to look even more onerous moving forward all good points thanks again for listening don't forget about 
our merchandise available at nateduncannba.com. We have those cool custom t-shirts now with in different colors, a few phrases, years, not dollars, years, not dollars, not selling as well as we would have hoped. That's what I get for putting one of Danny's phrases on there. Just kidding, Danny. Uh, we, we got a lot of people are like, oh yeah, years, not dollars. That's really funny, but actually that's the one that's been bought the least. Uh, and then we also have a few other ones, 2019 unprotected first round pick bucks here. And of course, record scratch as well. One of my favorites. So we got that. We got the dunked on hats, our Patreon account. We are all over the place. Great ways to support the show. There's our Amazon banner ad as well that you can click on. If you're going to go buy something on Amazon, give us a little bit of kickback. Doesn't cost you anything. And I think that's it. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm not sure what we're doing tomorrow quite yet, but I'm sure it'll be fun. And we got team previews coming this week as well. I'm going to try to do the Nuggets, Lakers, maybe the Cavs, get to all of the uh, some of these big teams that I thought were worth their own episode rather than combining them with another team. So thanks again for listening and we will talk to you all tomorrow till then at bet three, six, five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a three point at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.